Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast, episode number 43. My name is Phil and joining me as always is Rohan. How's it going? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. And joining us today, also from Australia, is James. Hey, James. How's it going, guys? Hey. Good, thank you. So, James, some people uh, may know you as Jim Power uh, on the forums. They almost, they also may recognize you from your Lovelace UI, which has just been added to the Home Assistant demo pages. Now that uh, Lovelace is the default UI, so uh, thanks for all your awesome uh, work on Lovelace that you've done and sharing it with everyone. We're going to pick your brains about that in a minute. Excellent. This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily connect to Google and Amazon Voice Assistants for a small monthly fee. That also supports the Home Assistant project. Configurations via the user interface so there's no fiddling with router settings, dynamic DNS, or any YAML. <laughs> Remember last week, Rohan, we said we weren't going to uh, make this a thing? Uh, I know. So, so if you haven't heard... Lowe's is shutting down their platform called Iris. Uh, it's, I guess it's called Iris by Lowe's. Uh, if you're not familiar with Lowe's, it's basically, it's a North American home improvement store. So they they basically started their own little uh, home automation hub, with uh, which is called Iris. Yeah, so they, they decided as of March 31st, 2019, uh, which is, um, I guess, two months now. Uh, from from mm. when we're recording, it's it's shutting down. So basically, yeah, all the cloud services are going to be going offline, and and yeah. So I think once again, this is you know like the whole you know avoid the cloud, yada 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 sort of stuff. The good thing about what the, with this Iris shutdown is they're creating a uh, an open source platform uh, that they're going to call Arcus Arcus A R C U S. And they basically said, look, Iris wants the smart home enthusiast and developer communities to be able to benefit from the hard work and development of this platform. So you're not, you know, completely out of luck. Uh, so hopefully we'll see, you know, by the end of March, there'll be a, a an Arcus platform added to Home Assistant to keep those smart devices working. But it does just go to show, like, you know, ah... Uh, I'm actually evaluating now, you know, a couple of potential blind controllers and I'm looking at the, the cloud dependency. I'm like, if that company just shuts down, then I'm going to, you know, have no access to this device anymore. So yeah, it's a, it, I don't want 2019 to, to be the year of everything shutting down, but it seems to be the way it's going. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's tough. So this is our what third episode, and we've had three conversations mm. in a row about cloud services just taking products offline and and things. But but I will say, you know what? Um, when I first read this article, I hadn't I hadn't found out about the the Arcus project and the fact that they want to open source it. So I will say, as as annoying as this is, um, uh, uh, you know, kudos to to Lowe's for saying, hey, you know what? Uh, we made this product. People benefited from it for a little bit. Uh, now we're taking it offline and, you know, here's how you continue to benefit from this platform. Right. So I, yeah. to, to me, that's a big, that's a big, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not, I mean, it still sucks that they're, that they have to take it down, but, uh, but it's, it's great that they're, they're saying, Hey, you know what? We want people to continue, continue using this. Mm. 
At, at the end of the day, it is it is it is still an inconvenience. It is still disruptive. But you know, what do you do? Yeah, that they have a, an online redemption process uh, for customers that have uh, eligible connected Iris devices, where they might get a Visa prepaid card back um, as a, as a form of refund or compensation. So do check out the uh, if you are affected by this. Do check out the the Lowe's website for that. Um, but I think now we can get on to happier topics. Uh, 0.87, the the first release with Lovelace, you know, Lovelace was the last release, and now we've got, you know, this is the first release after Lovelace, and, and what's next? And I think the first big thing to come out this uh, release is going to be areas. Uh, so if everyone remembers uh, the State of the Union that Paulus had, uh, Paulus sort of mentioned the idea of areas or, or rooms in Home Resistant and being able to assign devices to a room. So you might have a bedroom, you can create that in Home Assistant as an area now, and then you can assign things like your motion sensor, your TV, your speakers, and have them all grouped in that area. So as of 0.87, you can create and assign devices to an area, and then in the future, so not just yet, but in the future you'll be able to allow areas to be restricted um, basically to certain users, so bringing in that whole permissions model so you know a guest may not be able to control your bedroom they can control their bedroom and stuff like that so yeah it's cool to see uh areas finally added in yeah that's actually amazing because now i can say okay you know what uh let's say i have a guest over hanging out at my house they want to you know want to hang out they want to sleep great you know what here's the guest bedroom and your tablet only has access to this specific uh pieces yeah. right so you know maybe the bedroom if there's a guest bathroom or you know maybe some hallway lights or something like that but you know you can't you can't wake me up in the middle of the night by accidentally or <laughs> intentionally pressing pressing the hey uh let's turn on you know rohan's bedroom light kind of thing at three in the morning and you know startling <laughs> startling me half to death um so that that's fantastic so um also, uh, now that they do have the entity registry in a UI form. So uh, the configuration panel now basically has the interface where you can see everything that's connected and, and utilize it that way. Uh, there's also a new system health component, which will allow you, uh, once enabled, you'll be able to go to the information panel. And it's going to basically uh, tell you the health of your home assistant install. So it'll give you details like what operating system you're using, uh, if there's any uh, potential issues, uh, all those sort of details. Uh, in the future, uh, we're hoping that we'll, there'll be uh, the integrations themselves will be able to report their health status. So, for example, if your Philips Hue integration is having some issues, it'll be able to report it via the system health section. So, yeah, that's cool once again to make the platform a bit more stable. Yeah. Uh, also something that I'm personally excited about, uh, there's a smart things component. So, um, before there was, so about, oh God, what is it like two years ago, maybe, or a year and a half ago, uh, there was a blog post saying, here's the smarter smart things, uh, which basically had a script within the smart things, uh, smart things cloud, which connected back to your MQTT. There was another, in my case, it was another Docker container that I had to spin up. Uh, attacked as a median between between smart things and home assistant and the home assistant picks up from that mqtt server uh now there's actually a native integration so i've <laughs> i've personally been waiting for this for for a little bit 
And uh, I actually played with it uh, last night and uh, it works. It's great. A couple of things to know there. There are a couple of nuances. So make sure you do read the manual uh, or the, the, the components page uh, for the smart things. And, uh, and yeah, try it out if you use it. I, I love Home Assistant and before Home Assistant, I was using smart things and I was personally, I was too lazy to learn Groovy, <laughs> hence my move to Home Assistant. And, and now, now all my Zigbee devices, Z-Wave devices are still connected there. So now I can actually leverage those natively from the smart things UI, which I think is awesome. And you can get rid of that MQTT bridge. Yeah, exactly. That's one more thing to to get rid of. I have other components that are on MQTT. So right now it's actually only switches that are supported. So mm-hmm. I do have door sensors and and uh, contact sensors and things like that, motion sensors that are on uh, smart things that are coming in through MQTT. So that is not supported today. So personally, I'll still be running both, but now I can actually remove my uh, switches from uh, from MQTT and then run them natively on here. And as the as the functions come in for motion sensor, contact sensor, things like that, I can actually bring those in as well. So that uses the cloud though, right? So does the MQTT bridge yes. all run locally? Or does so that MQTT well? bridge, all of that stuff runs locally. Yeah, mm-hmm. so there, right now everything runs locally, but there is a component which does call home. Uh, I, I haven't dug into the code, so again, I may be off a little bit, but but basically what happens is you publish your external. So one of the caveats here is you need to have your external, whether it's your IP or dynamic DNS or DNS name published outbound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it needs to be HTTPS. And I believe it has to be a valid certificate. So you have to use something like Let's Encrypt for that. Oh, um, in my case, I'm using Let's Encrypt uh, behind an Nginx reverse proxy or uh, alongside our Nginx reverse proxy. So... I have my uh, my dynamic, uh, or I, it, I, I'm using a static DNS name, but I have a DNS name that points back to my IP address with the HTTPS URL, and uh, and it works fine. It's it, it's actually all laid out in the in the documentation. It's just don't do what I did and skim down to the bottom and be like, okay, this is the config. Read the actual <laughs> full config because I had to try it two or three times before I actually read the configuration and said, oh, here's actually what I need to do. So classic um, developer move. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, I'll just skip to the bottom. I'll I'll figure out the fill in the blank. Yeah, no, no, read it, read it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. In this case, uh, I I would suggest it. There's there's two or three nuances there that are that are documented. So uh, another uh, image processing platform. This time for QR codes. Uh, I'm going to be actually really interested to see some use cases for this one. I'm guessing uh, so. Any camera that can be configured inside Home Assistant now that Home Assistant can see can now have the ability to for it to read QR codes from the images. So I reckon there'll be some interesting uh, uses for that. Maybe I'm thinking uh, maybe a, a form of ID, like walk up with my little ID badge and there's my QR code on it. Not very secure, obviously, but maybe that yeah. could unlock something. Or maybe, you know, similar, uh, maybe a DVD cover that has a QR code in the corner, scan that against the camera and then it starts playing that DVD on the TV. So, yeah, some, I would, yeah, yeah. very interested to see what people do with, with that platform. Yeah. Also, uh, the Everlight's light component. So Everlight's, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it, they're permanent Christmas lights that that you install on your gutters or flashing, whatever you want to call it, uh, on your home. And basically, uh, you can change the LEDs in a zone to a single color, or you can activate a pattern, things like that. So uh, there's that has now been integrated into Home Assistant. That's awesome. Another 
product I didn't know existed, but now I want. Um, now this, the next feature is actually something that I'm really excited to see in Home Assistant, and it's you know not something that hasn't really been talked about before, but it's called the Utility Meter. And it's a, a new platform which aims to improve the ability for Home Assistant to measure the consumption of utilities, for example, your electricity, gas, and water. Uh, so, for example, with uh, this utility meter, you could track uh, how much money you're spending on your dishwasher or your washing machine is using. Um, and it's, it even goes to the level of being able to support different like peak energy tariffs uh, and all that. And you can actually set up, you know, my billing cycles each month, each fortnight or whatever. So this is actually going to be really cool to have. James, I think you'll enjoy having this in one of your Grafana sort of graphs to show you know how much money i'm spending here so yeah this is a really cool feature to have in home assistant yeah that's awesome yeah it's amazing i I can think of uh a thousand use cases already for that so right yeah Yeah, exactly so that's a really cool feature so there's also going to be a co2 signal sensor um so basically a sensor that says here's how much co2 is being emitted uh, to generate your household electricity. So, for example, if you start charging your electric vehicle, or, or you can say, let me only start charging my electric vehicle when my country is below a certain threshold. So if you're very green, then here you go. This is this is for you. Yeah, that's cool. So it doesn't actually, it won't know how much your particular house is generating, but it will be able to get the data. Apparently there's services that track how much a country is generating CO2 emissions at any given time. And then it just, yeah, yeah. You can get that into home. It's really cool. Which is, which is great. I didn't, I didn't realize that this was a, this was a thing. Like I, I'm, I'm, I knew somebody was measuring it. I just didn't know if it was like publicly available. So that's kind of cool. It's amazing how people, yeah, find this data. <laughs> it's true. If you're a HomeKit user, uh, we now have HomeKit motion sensor devices can now be used inside Home Assistant. Yep. Also, recollect waste sensor and the Rova garbage sensors are now here. So if your local uh, government uses uh, recollect waste to give you kind of waste information, then uh, this sensor lets Home Assistant know when your next pickup is and what kind of waste is going to be collected, So, uh, which is pretty cool. My Mine personally doesn't use uh, either of these, but uh, it's great to see that that's, that's actually being provided. Yeah. So. Hopefully, mine one of mine is uh, coming up here soon. So, <laughs> all right, uh, breaking changes. Uh, only a couple we'll mention uh, for this release: uh, the transmission sensor and the Devado routers. Uh, they've been mo- both moved to components now, so you'll need to update your config if you're using uh, any of those. Also, the material icons that uh, that are very popular. So those are all the icons that you see through Home Assistant, uh, like like the fans and things like that. Uh, they've been updated to a newer version. So uh, and some of the icons have been changed also as part of that. Yeah, I just need to watch out for that if you're using any custom icons. Yeah. There was a typo in the air quality component C02, which has now been updated to the correct CO2. So if you were using those in your entity IDs, they may not look different to the human eye, but trust me, they will throw errors. So just watch out for that. Yeah. Uh, some other noteworthy updates. Um, so now there's a verify SSL option added to the rest uh, switches and sensors. 
So that means you can either ignore the SSL certificate if you need one or or use it. And uh, the dark sky wind speed and wind gust speeds, uh, those sensors, they've been changed to use kilometers per hour instead of meters per second. So unless you're a physicist and you need to know exactly the meters per second, I think that's probably a more easier way of dis- displaying that data. Yeah. So, James, I don't even know where to begin, James. Like, your GitHub config is awesome. <laughs> uh, you've got a, a really uh, great setup. Um, it's all documented on GitHub. There are links in our show notes uh, if you want to check it out. So, as I mentioned before, your Lovelace UI was featured in the demo of uh, Home Assistant. And by looks of your... First, I just want to ask you, you're running Home Assistant across three Raspberry Pis. Is is that still accurate? Yeah. Uh, it was initially how I started my home assistant journey. Um, I've just recently moved over to Intel Nook. Okay. Um, ah, nice. And repurposed those pies elsewhere, so they didn't go to waste. But yeah, I'm now running um, HA in a Docker container and mm-hmm. growing up, I guess, as far as my implementation <laughs> of the system goes. So. Yeah. What was the purpose of using three Raspberry Pis for? Um, look, I started the same as everyone else. I had uh, a few sensors and um, started to get addicted to what I can put in there. So I, I put everything I could in there. The mm-hmm. uh, CPU cycle started to struggle. Right. And I noticed that I'd walk yeah. into a room, um, yep. do what I needed to do, went to walk out, and then the light would turn on. So um, I yeah. needed to – it was no point in having automations that, that weren't triggering when you want them. So I needed to make it more snappy. Yeah. I had a look at the CPU cycles and went, well, uh, all right, let's let's give it some help and, and added an extra two just to be safe. I put Grafana and uh, Influx and my add-ons kind of on one dedicated Pi and then uh, Node-RED and automations all on, on the other Pi. Uh, and that was obviously mm-hmm. a significant improvement on response times for automations. It was yeah. uh, chalk and cheese really. Mm-hmm. So let the sensors go about their business on, on, a, on a Pi in the background and, and – don't really care about polling it instantly. It's really the automations we want to, to happen instantly. So Right. Yeah, I have done basically the same thing. I'm running two instances of Home Assistant at the moment, one on a dedicated uh, Acer Revo, like, net-top PC, and everything, like, once again, for Grafana or anything that's, like, a non-critical automation goes on the secondary Home Assistant install running on my NAS. So Yeah, exactly. Did you have your two... Home Assistant installs talking to each other using like MQTT or anything? Yeah, so the first attempt at it, I was using MQTT um, service, uh, sorry, state stream and event stream. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but yep. I still didn't get the, the the responsiveness that I wanted from it. And I was playing around with Node-RED at the same time and I thought, oh, mm. let's see. The limitations were, I couldn't see any really. So, And then I realized that it could be the conduit between the three instances that I wanted uh, so any states that I needed, I could just pull from each instance and then put them into any flow that I wanted. So uh, that's pretty much how I handled it from there on in. Interesting. So then, so then Node Red, nice. Node Red becomes the brain for your whole system, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. So the states and everything is still fed by the HA machine, but Node Red does uh, the automation flows for me. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Because I, my original thinking when I moved to two versions of Home Assistant was that I didn't want a one single point of failure in the house. I yep. didn't want you know Home Assistant's down, so then nothing works, right? So I wanted to try and yeah uh, 
you know, move things across. So, you know, at least if, you know, one instance is down, at least maybe the lights in one room will keep working. But I found, you know, then MQTT becomes that single point of failure. If MQTT is down, then nothing can talk to each other. And so, yeah, still trying to solve that problem. But Yeah, so I run an MQTT broker with replication so that if uh, my internet is down, I can still run localized MQTT and then... Yep. So that if you ever go down or it ever ever fails, uh, and uh, my backup just runs on a Raspberry Pi, so oh, perfect. Okay. If it ever fails, then yeah, away you really? go. Really, there's replication. Yep, that's it's that's the whole. The beauty of MQT protocol is is made for that kind of yeah um, replication. So I mean, I do automation as a as a job as well. So lucky enough to mm-hmm. to work and play with automation, and and that's part of what we do as well. If localized. Uh, or cloud access or internet access goes down, which it tends to do on an agricultural environment. Yep. Uh, we have a localized yep. instance that that is always replicating, and um, it will take control. Um, and then, if local area connection is gone as well, then then it's got its last will where it knows what to do in the event of no communication. And then, once everything comes back online, they replicate their states and away they go. Interesting. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, here I was thinking. Uh, well, I was uh, on the right track, but clearly I was not. That is, that sounds, yeah, really cool. Oh, there's, there's, a, there's about a thousand ways to achieve the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It, 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 it's funny <laughs> that that's getting that replicated MQTT has been something I've been wanting to do for a while. I just, it's one of those things that I've just never gotten around to doing it. Um, I've I've played with a couple of different MQTT servers to be like, oh, maybe this one, maybe that one, and just it, it's just it's work right <laughs> and it's just one more thing well, to add to the list so but that that's awesome that you have that working yeah it's really handy and i, I mean if you're dealing with um sd cards then you pretty pretty much need to back up everything i think yeah yeah for sure yeah sd cards yeah definitely um so how long have you been using home assistant for james uh i just got my one year um, anniversary for the forum, so it'll be oh, nice. last month, so just over a year now. That's awesome. Nice. And were you using anything before then? Um, look, my first adventure in a home automation probably would have been around 2006. Oh. Um, I discovered uh, what was then probably Xbox Media Center and, and based my first automations yes. around that. So yes, um, back then uh, I had one of the very first Samsung LCD screens. It was a, and a mid-range mm-hmm. amp and receiver and pay TV boxes and HDMI matrices and all that kind of stuff that required about 15 different remotes to get everything onto the right source <laughs> and, and volume levels and all that kind of stuff. It was a real pain to select that kind of stuff. So yeah. uh, I had a baptism of fire and kind of jumped into Event Ghost at the time. Um, to automate the process depending on the source selected, it would kind of control the TVs and various inputs via 232 and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that obviously gave me a taste for it. And um, then I started using 232 to Ethernet adapters to automate my blinds and irrigation. So I was using um, EventGhost as the back end and an application. I can't remember what it was called now. Um, either Control Home or roomy or something along those yeah. lines. Um, right. It was pretty clunky. It required lots of tinkering all the time, yeah, yeah. pretty much on a weekly basis, but that's really no different to now, I guess. Uh, it was event-driven, so that there was no real uh, state awareness as well. So if yeah. something wasn't in the right state when you went through that flow, it just yeah, went pear-shaped as well. Yeah. So 
for my book work, I, I travel a lot and uh, worked overseas quite a bit. So from there, I, I haven't really had any home automation systems set up because I wasn't really in a stable place for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did buy a Echo and a, a Samsung Smart Things when I was in the States at one time, pretty early on in their development. Brought them back to Oz and they were pretty much useless. Like we didn't have much support for them at all. And yeah. they ended up getting shelved for a while until I discovered HA, to be honest. So, Yeah, that's because I, I have a question here about your Smart Things here. Because, so for those that aren't aware samsung smart things just came out in australia last year uh and it's uh, only available uh exclusively uh in victoria via one of the uh automotive clubs they've got to install it themselves and otherwise your only option to import smart things is to you know buy it online and get it imported but because smart things is a us thing and there's a us frequency of z-wave so James, did you bring SmartThings out and then have all your Z-Wave gear not work or were there any issues using a US frequency in Australia? I um, had the thought around, look, the only real smart lock things at the time was Z-Wave or, or Bluetooth. Mm. Um, and uh, reading the views on the quicks, it, it was pretty rubbish by all the cords. So yeah. um, Z-Wave was our only real option. Um, but as you say, the US use frequencies that are used by our carriers here in Australia. So... I didn't really want to stop my neighbors from being able to make phone calls and that kind of stuff. So, That's it, right? Um, Smart Things has just been shelved. I haven't actually used it. It's always plugged in, but it's never been used, to be honest. So, That's fair enough. But the Echoes are now a, a central part of my ecosystem. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Yeah, so now, and I'm guessing now that, uh, have you switched over to the Australian version of the Echo, or are you still on the US? I've got the US version, my original yep. one, and then I've got a bunch of... Um, the smaller echoes around the place and, and they speak to me in a uh, slangy Australian accent. So, uh, that's the worst. Oh, yeah, I'm still, that's awesome. I'm, <laughs> I'm not moving to the Australian version just for the accent. That's yeah. I can't stand it. That's funny. Yeah. I, I do actually prefer the American version. Um, yeah, and I guess a lot of UK people can relate, you know, a lot of things, a lot of features that come out to the U S version of, uh, the Amazon Echo don't make it elsewhere. Uh, I think Rohan was saying the other day, Amazon Guard or sorry, uh, the Echo Guard feature, yeah. which is still US Echo only. Guard, you know, yeah. You, yeah, you don't even have that in Canada yet. So, um, no, it pays, no. Some, for some reason, it does pay to stay in on the US version if you can. Exactly. So it's it's uh, it, it's weird that they didn't do that to you guys though. So for me, when uh, when I guess they launched in Canada, they actually flipped my account automatically. I actually never went in and never asked for it to be flipped. Oh no! But they actually moved my account to Canada. 
uh, where I actually lost a couple of channels that I wanted, uh, things like uh, NPR News and uh, BBC. Yep. Um, I think NPR, I think, ended up coming back. Maybe it didn't. I don't remember offhand, but uh, BBC I still don't have or whatever. So, you know, a couple of those kind of things, right, to say, hey, you know what, the we don't have that necessarily here, but it's, it's there and you know, it hasn't, it still hasn't caught up, up fully to me. So. I think it's a pretty cool things that have just been released on their last sort of release cycle as well. Like the Amazon auto looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to get yes. hands on that, but I can't see how long that'll take to come to Australia. So. Yeah. 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 For the car. Yeah. But all those things again are all that hardware is us only. Right. So yeah, that's same, a problem. Same deal. Also want the Echo Clock. Uh, yeah, I believe that's US also, mm. US only also, and and the microwave. Not not that I really want, <laughs> you know, an Echo built into my microwave for, you know, how much ever extra dollars. So I'd rather not. Um, so how many people are in your smart home, James? Uh, so it's my wife and and two young mm-hmm. boys. It's a it's a constant battle, I think, with my wife and the the approval factor. She's on board when it works. And when she, when it's not, it's it's pretty brutal. So everything has to meet the wife approval factor. But she is she is on board with some of the automations. And, and when they're not working, uh, you know that she's enjoying it because she'll make comments when they don't work. <laughs> so, um, but I think for the most part, like I just I used it to annoy her as well. So <laughs> text to speech, every message was was aimed at her to torment her about. She's either left the washing in the machine again or if she goes to put the alarm on and then has to come back inside, I'll say, what did you forget this time? Or uh, <laughs> like every every little process that happens in the house is aimed to, to have a little jibe at the same time. So, yeah, I, didn't, I probably was my worst enemy with that as well. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that probably didn't help things. No. How, how do the boys find it? Um, the boys, uh, they're pretty young still, so there's not a lot of automations that, that really – work for them yet um they love the echo and the, obviously the simon says functionality that mm. that doesn't get old with them at all so um <laughs> i've learned to turn the tv on and the air conditioners and the fans and all that kind of stuff so not bad for for four yeah, and two it'd be interesting it's, once again like they, these kids are, are growing up not knowing that this technology never existed so it's interesting to see how they will grow up knowing with this technology and, and be yeah. able to use it more than what we'll be ever be able to achieve. Oh man, I have to turn the light switch on with my hand. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Yeah, what what's that? <laughs> what 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 decade do we live in, Dad? <laughs> but yeah, I mean on that, the the boys when you, when their toddlers get to a certain age, they can read the light switches, they flick them on and off and on and off. And I've got the Xiaomi bulbs, and it resets them if you if you do. Oh, of course, it does. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I've had a few lighting <laughs> automations not go ahead because of uh, toddler playing. Uh-huh. That's yes. Yeah, um, and then of course we we have um, in laws that are based overseas, mm-hmm. and they come to visit probably two to three months a year. And so the guest mode obviously is is another automation that's that's used for the people in our house. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, we turn everything off because <laughs> no good. Yeah. With it. So, how do you go about developing a a guest mode? So, I, I've tried to do guest mode, but I, I guess I've never tested it uh, in production. And so, then when a guest comes to stay, and I just flick that on, it never works, right? So, do you have a, a process that you would go and to test it, or do you just shut all the automations off and and hope for the best? 
Yeah, so the, the order, I use a um, RFID for mm-hmm. entry for the guest mode so that they don't have to uh, use a key and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so that kind of triggers a lot of guest mode stuff for them. Oh, that's really cool. Um, and, and they use the same tag in their room, and that stops the, the lighting turning off because they, they obviously will, will want to read at night yep. when, when normally if there's no motion detected by any of the motion sensors upstairs, all the lights get switched yep. off and, and that kind of stuff. So. Uh, and the bathroom automations. <laughs> don't want don't want lights going off while people are in the bathtub and that sort of thing. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's it's funny. The guest ones are always a little tough, right? I, I I tried to keep mine as simple as possible. I literally have a Boolean switch to say guest mode on or off. And if it's on, it literally just, when I say goodnight or whatever, it just doesn't turn off their lights. Yeah, that's right. it. And, you know, it, it, it's about how you can keep it easy, right? So, so uh, how how are you how are you running uh, Home Assistant today? Are you doing uh, has IO or are you doing Docker containers? Are you? Yeah, so um, just recently, I think November it was, I moved to Intel Nook. Yeah. I wanted to um, have a bit more grunt and. Uh, because I wanted to start moving on to facial recognition. Oh. Uh, and in November, I had my first SD card oh, failure. Of course you did. And I thought, oof, this is going to get a bit nasty when I'm trying to maintain three pies and three SD cards. And I thought, now's the time. Let's let's get into it. So I, I reached out to a few people that had done it on the forums before and how good's our community. They were more than happy to, to ease my concerns about it um i'd never really work with linux i'm not a linux man sure. um and, and and docker either so this was another new venture for me once i got into it uh, I, I ordered the gear the next day um had it up and running within an hour of of everything yeah. so i still run sio in a docker in uh, what is mm-hmm. it, ubuntu server yeah. um and I've spun up a couple of other Dockers for Node-RED and MQTT and a few yep. other uh, nice to have. Portain is pretty awesome for managing that whole um, environment. And and now I run Machinebox on that as well. So that, that feeds into facial recognition for the door and the bathroom as well, which I'll probably elaborate <laughs> right on a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> now, now I'm curious. So facial recognition, what, what, are, you, what are you doing with it? And... Specifically in the bathroom too. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily <laughs> want to know the answer to that, but what's uh, yeah okay. So what's the um, story there? There's a, there's a whole privacy issue there, and that's where guest mm-hmm. mode comes in as well. So yeah. it switches all that off because uh, we don't want to be taking pictures of people in the bathroom <laughs> when there's no consent and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, um, basically it was how do I tackle bathroom automation? So there's two. I think white unicorns in home automation, one being presence detection and how to get that right. And the other one, totally agree. Uh, bathroom automation, don't go there unless you, you're going to get it right. So um, the first time I attempted it, it was motion detection uh, and then a timeout on that motion detection. So uh, the problem with that being if you're in the shower or the bathtub, it doesn't, you don't actually trigger the motion sensor in the bathroom. So, uh, lights would go out when people were in the bath or in the shower, and, and that's not ideal. So you get screamed at and uh, rip all this crap out of the house kind of yeah. stuff happens. So yeah. um, I thought, how how am I going to know someone is in the shower? Uh, I had some Xiaomi flood sensors, and I thought, 
oh no, the shower water sits in the bottom of the shower basin for too long. So the lights would stay on for half a day by the time it dried out. Uh, and then I had a look at some of the sensors I already had in the bathroom, put them into mm-hmm. Grafana and kind of tried to see any trends that I, that I had from that. And I did notice that whenever we jumped in the shower, the humidity would spike. So uh, I use that as a condition. If humidity is above X amount, don't turn off the lights. And, and that's been working flawlessly since we implemented that. However, the humidity doesn't spike when the kids are in the bathtub. So uh, the lights were still turning off <laughs> during bath time for the boys. So one thing you can guarantee when boys are in the bathtub is the noise the noise spikes. So uh, we use the noise condition to stop the lights turning off on, on that one. But I wanted to take it a step further, and this is still a work in progress for, for the place at the moment. So I've got a magic mirror in the bathroom, mm-hmm. and... Behind that is a little raspberry with a, a camera. And when someone comes into the bathroom uh, with a machine box, you train it with a hundred or so photos of that particular person so it, it can identify them. Um, so my wife and I are in there as, as well as the boys. Um, if it recognises us, it will give you a, a greeting over the text-to-speech as well as put a little uh, message over the mirror saying welcome or good morning or whatever the time might be. And then it gives you a kind of a series prompt type situation where uh, would you like to hear your morning or evening routines? Uh, and those routines are simple uh, weather and, and traffic kind of conditions depending on the mode of transport that we'll be using at that time of the day, the next bus schedule and that kind of thing. Uh, and then it will show those, sort of display those on the magic mirror as well. And then the next part of the process is to ask you if you would like to listen to your playlist on Spotify, basically. So you can check a playlist on and away you go to have a shower. So, so sorry, I, I apologize if I missed it. How, how is that input happening with the mirror? Like, are they, is it like touch or is it voice or is it, you know, like app? Well, there's two inputs. Um, you can respond via voice. That's awesome. So would you like to hear your morning brief? And then a simple yes will, will be enough to trigger that. Or there's a there's a touch screen on the mirror as well, so you can hit the prompts on the screen. Very cool. Okay. So it's it, it crashes a little bit, so we're not we're not quite there yet, but um, that's a that's a pretty cool project and and one of probably one of the little pet projects that I'm happy with at the moment. So. Very cool. Just again, now I'm I'm just super intrigued. This is going way off, kind of on a tangent. But like, like even cleaning the mirror and stuff, do you find that's a problem? Because I know I know most of the stuff is behind the mirror and that's fine. But with touchscreen, I'm guessing there's some kind of digitizer. Yeah, so there's, there is a digitizer and there's a little um, push button switch under the kind of right hand bottom corner that you can click to turn that off as well. Interesting. Okay, so then so if you're doing any cleaning or anything, you do that and that way it doesn't affect anything and you don't damage it. Exactly. Okay. And, and because the boys are always spitting toothpaste yeah. <laughs> touching it or... <laughs> yeah yeah cleaning all the time that's funny and plus we don't want them to touch it all the time as well so it gets turned off as well yeah of okay course. okay but it's interesting because uh you mentioned the the, the xiaomi flood sensors for the the shower and this is another problem that every you know house is different so i'm actually using a xiaomi flood sensor in our shower to detect uh, when someone's in there, because here the the water doesn't um, pool under and just dry straight away, and I found that the humidity cool, so that, and that works well for you exactly. Yeah, uh, I I found the Xiaomi yep. sensor 
when it's just a Xiaomi sensor on the floor, it will actually trap the water underneath it because it's got a nice seal under the sensor. So what I did is I put a little bit of blue tack underneath it to raise it just a a very tiny little bit to let the water dry out from underneath it. And, yeah, that's enough to, yeah, within a couple of minutes of the shower turning off, the, the Xiaomi sensor reports that there's no water there and away Home Assistant goes. But yeah, so for me, I found the the Xiaomi sensor fine, but I didn't find the humidity fine because we always have the exhaust fan on. So, yeah, yeah. yeah well, with us, with, with the boys as well, if it's not nailed down, they'll they'll take it and play with it and <laughs> yeah, throw it around. So we've got to be a bit yeah, a bit smarter about how we or we can't just place things where we want, unfortunately. Yeah, so. D- design considerations. Yeah, I have a friend, and her, when her three-year-old daughter comes around, the first thing she does is she runs into the kitchen and yanks off my uh, door sensor that's attached to the dishwasher because it's right within her her eye level. And, of course, oh, you know, no. there goes that door sensor. So I can't tell when the yeah. dishwasher's clean or not. <laughs> so I put all the, um, the temperature and humidity sensors right above the light switch, um, but the boys have grown and they've, they've started ripping them mm. off. And, of course, they've got little batteries in them, so we need to be conscious of that. So yes. I had to redeploy them all above the door frames at the top of the door and yep. that kind of stuff as well. So it's um, different, of... different obstacles every day. Mm. And this is the thing, right? Every every house is unique. Yeah, it's just um, – but how good are Xiaomi sensors? Oh, they are awesome. I Yeah, I'm a really big fan of those. Uh, I didn't realize at the time – I started um, with the, the typical, like everyone did with sign-offs in the wall, and I kept reading on the forums about Jami and Jami Gateways, and I thought, okay, what, what is this? Everyone seems to be looking at them. Um, and I didn't realise at the time that that was a rabbit hole that, that I was never going to get out <laughs> of. Um, and so, uh, oh, man, I'm a, I'm a massive fanboy, right? I've got every just about everything. Not I mean, they've got, what, 2,000 items in their catalogue, but... Uh, I'm doing my best to get my way through it. Um, I've got all of their home automation type sensors, but I use heaps of stuff that isn't even related to my smart home either. Like we've got juices and hair dryers and all kinds of stuff. So, Oh, really? That's wow, funny. you've gone full Xiaomi. That's awesome. Yeah, the scooter's my favorite, I have to say. That's awesome. Yeah, I think you're allowed to I'm, – I'm not allowed to have those in Victoria. They're too fast. For whatever reason, they're too powerful. Technically, not allowed here either. But have you have you been to the Gold Coast on schoolies? Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. They don't really listen up there, do they? they just do what you yeah, want. Scooters everywhere. So, <laughs> um, I was yeah. a. I saw on your GitHub repo you're also using a, the Xiaomi pedestal fan, um, which I think is going to eventually replace my cheap thirty dollar remote control supermarket fan. How have you found that? It's awesome. So when I first bought it, um, I don't think anyone else had one and it was not integrated into HA. So I was kind of disappointed and went, oh, well, I can still, I mean, the app itself uh, on the phone is actually mm-hmm. pretty good. Um, reached out to community. Um, I can't remember who it was that helped me now, but they had a custom component ready for me in about six hours. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, which gave me 90% functionality. Um, and I pretty much use it in summer. I use it every day. So nine months mm-hmm. of the year it gets used. Yeah, summers go for about nine months up here. But I use it every night in the kitchen and then I, I bring it into the bedroom and use the ceiling fan as well as that. And I put it on timers and that kind of stuff as well. And it's got all these other different modes on it that if it's not completely humid, then uh, we can have it on full ball. If it is, and it's got this like, um, I remember what the mode's called, like an articulating type style. It's 
it's pretty good as well. So you don't have oh yeah, so it just like sort of speeds up and uh, yeah, then slows down. That's cool. Yeah, it speeds up and slows down, mm. and it's pretty good. That's nice. So what are you using? So you mentioned before you've got your RFID tags. Are they your main form of presence detection? Uh, I don't use them at all for presence except for guest mode. Um, okay. As I said before, like presence detection, that's taken me a long time to get right. Um, mm. I started with own tracks like everyone. I, I watched uh, Bra's video on it. Um, we all know its limitations and it basically can't be relied upon yeah. uh, by itself alone. So uh, I went full stalker mode with my family and, and use a combination of GPS tracking, Bluetooth trackers, um, ping and all kinds of stuff, feed them into Bayesian sensors and then use node red to determine how accurately their chance of us being at home yeah. is. Um, and that's been working. I, I removed own tracks cause it, man, uh, anytime Android updates, it pretty much Dave. stops working. Yeah. Um, iPhone, yeah. it doesn't work at all. Um, I moved to GPS tracker and that's been pretty good. Uh, I haven't had any issues with that at all, so really happy with that one. In fact, I could probably use that by itself. Nice. And how do you find, like, tracking your children? Do they have phones themselves that you can track with or do you have other sensors that you can use to to track them? Uh, No, no. Like, we try to limit screen time with them and all that kind of good stuff. So Mm -hmm. at the moment, and and they're not at school Mm -hmm. age or anything like that yet, so – and they're loud, man. So we pretty much know where they are all the time. No real. I could use sound sensors to kind of determine what room they're in, but it would show up in all rooms anyway, I think, with how loud they are. So we don't do that. It's it's mainly for um, my wife catches a lot of buses and public transport and that kind of stuff. So I like to, to know if um, she should be somewhere and she isn't. Uh, I can get sort of an automation run by that. Or if her phone's run run dead, um, I can get an alert and that kind of stuff from that as well. Uh, but having the alarm set and not set with a yeah. incomplete presence detection is just not possible. Yeah. Then you've got lights turning off on you and all that kind of stuff in, in the middle of dinner. And um, and so I really couldn't crack it until I moved to Node-RED. And then from there it's using the probabilities from a Bayesian sensor and feeding that into sort of different flows with – if this is the case, then that's uh, mm-hmm. good possibility. Mm-hmm. And then I've taken it a step further to to say what room we're actually in as well. So uh, using Pi Zeros around the house to kind of determine where our phone's at as well as motion sensors and then, you know, things that you're probably already doing fill with. Yeah, exactly. If the TV's on at a certain time, then it's a pretty good idea that you're in the lounge room. And, right. Um, if the mm-hmm. sensors are triggered, then, then we're in bed. And using, um, you know, the, the new vibe. Vibration sensors from Xiaomi. I, I use one of them under one of my uh, office chairs to tell if I'm in the in the office or in the study, and uh, that in conjunction with nice. uh, a motion sensor will will turn my lamp on or that kind of stuff. Wow, very cool. Um, so, what are what are some of your out of, out of all of your automation? So it sounds like you're doing quite a bit. Out of all of that stuff, what's what's among your favorites? Um, look. I'd probably be lying if I didn't say uh, I don't get a warm, fuzzy feeling every time an automation fires. Like, yeah. yeah. It's a pretty cool little feeling to know that uh, you've, you've set something in motion and it's just working. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I secretly like it when they don't, so I can kind of get under the hood and have a bit of a play as well. So <laughs> um, That's fair. <laughs> yeah. It's an excuse to have a play. 
Um, but look, I, I'm a creature of habit, so I'm probably a perfect candidate for automating my life. Um, yeah. One of my favorites, I guess, is my evening routine. So once the chaos of, of feeding time is complete, um, I do the dishes. And so I have a flow sensor installed on my faucet or my tap mm-hmm. and as well um, the, the sink pipe underneath. So if there's flow out of the tap, and the boys wash their hands in this sink a lot as well, so I had to install one in the in the pipe underneath the sink as well sort of to, to determine mm-hmm. if there's water flowing, but if the plug's in, it's obviously not flowing out of the, right. uh, the pipe at the bottom. So that's a good indication that I'm about to do the dishes. Um, if that's the case, that kind of sets the flow in motion. From there, that triggers my evening routine. So it'll open up the blinds so I can see my backyard as the as the sun's going down. Uh, it uses a script and tasker to turn on kitchen tablet, opens uh, Spotify up and, and makes it full screen and plays a playlist. Uh, it turns on the Xiaomi fan if it's hot because uh, it's a little it's a little pokey kitchen. So yeah. if the yeah. If the oven's been on most of the time, it has been just after dinner. It's pretty pretty right. unbearable yeah. in there, and then hot water from the sink. So um, I have the fan going, um, and then once I've emptied the sink, that's the the condition to start the next part part of the flow, and that will close the blind again and, and turn the music off. Um, and then when I come to my uh, after that, I empty the trash, uh, and I've got uh, a Wi-Fi enabled gas actuator on the front door. Yeah, I'm getting pretty lazy You're now. Joking. So I walk up with, um, so two I've got usually got two trash bags of recycle and the and the normal trash. Yeah. So my hands are full, opens the door for me. I walk out and then it you know the, the lights light my way around from the front of the house around the side. So um, just having that light turn on without the light switch is pretty awesome yeah ne- next time you're in toronto man i got i gotta get you up to my place and being like uh just book yourself for like a week and just go ham like yeah a bit of, a bit of my work life is, is trickling into my home life unfortunately so a wi-fi gas funny. actuator i didn't even know they made that yeah so i automate um farming processes and stuff so they don't actually i've, I've designed one at work myself for that purpose so um, I was testing something out on uh, an actuated um, measurement sensor for a wine wine vat, um, and I thought, hey, this could open my door. So uh, there's there's a thousand use for any one particular sensor, and that's my wife um, thought that was a lot overboard, which yeah. it probably is. But <laughs> that is the one of the best things I've ever heard. The, I can just imagine the door opening. How long does it take to open? Like, is it or is it just a sensor? It's, it's pretty good, but it's it's a um, uh, like a action fired yep. uh, actuator, so it'll it'll open quickly and then kind of like you know the gas operated um, kitchen drawers and stuff. It'll open and then it gets to a certain point yep. and then yep. slow up so that it doesn't slam open, yeah. like fly open and hit someone <laughs> if they're trying to come in the door or something like that. But that only actually fires that that one only actually at the moment is. Works when I trigger this script. Most of the time, it's just mm, a manually operated door. So right, okay, yeah. wow. Because um, we don't want the kids being able to get out to front when when they can just wave their yes, hand and open the door. Imagine. So that's uh, yeah, good uh, idea. So that, yeah, that that one, um, like having to turn on the tablet, open Spotify, pick the playlist, that kind of stuff. I was like, geez, there's got to be a better way. So that 
kind of sparked this whole, all right, what else do I do as part of my routine? And that just escalated. Wow. That's, that's awesome. A better question to have asked you would be what haven't you automated in your house yet? Yeah. Um, I, I continually search and I troll uh, the, the forums mm-hmm. for, for good ideas as well. So um, I have a bunch of stuff still sitting in my garage ready to be deployed. And when I get a bit of time, I'll, I'll have a bit of a play and tinker. But the main projects I'm working on at the moment is um, the bathroom magic mirror yeah. project, obviously, that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on a uh, an agronomist-type weather station, um, but that's more of a – for people that have their own weather stations like a mm-hmm. Davis or – a personal weather station in their own backyard. Uh, kind of display all that information you would see, but it will take it to the next level. So bring in some Delta T uh, for spraying and watering conditions and um, bring some high-level mass into it to, to give people that next kind of level of uh, this is what we're doing in the wider – this is what automation is doing in industry. Let's bring it into to Home Assistant as well. Wow. So what would be the, the brains that are powering that? Is that Grafana or is it like something that's powering the brains for that or is there another system? that? It's a little bit of both. So um, Lovelace, I mean, how, how good is it? So it's got some really good um, applications of uh, just the standard cards, but then what you can customise when you when you get under the hood of it is as well is uh, pretty awesome. So I'm using a bunch of standard cards, some picture entity cards to put, sensors in there as well uh as well then i have some pretty cool graphs that have been done in grafana and then i'm using a an iframe to bring them in uh eventually hopefully we can get that as part of the standard home assistant yeah that'd be cool platform right so have grafana as a component reach out via api and then you can use it as a standard lovelace card hopefully so i think now that we've got the the basis of a pretty solid platform for lovelace uh, we're going to see some cool stuff coming in the next couple of months. Yeah, I, I think I think especially now that everybody's kind of s- cemented onto Lovelace, also, I think that helps. And then now, that way, the developers have okay, we've got this core. Now let's start building on yeah. top of it, right? So, um, yeah, no, that uh, it, it's fantastic. It just looking at some of that stuff. So yeah, and uh, obviously, as you touched on earlier, Phil, um, they use some of my examples in the in the Lovelace UI website which is pretty um pretty awesome and but a lot of it didn't make it in because it's too custom so we wanted to paulus wanted to keep it as user-friendly as possible and um where some of those cards are implemented is probably going to scare a lot of new users (laughs) away so we wanted to keep it as simple as possible but i'm working on i'm doing a simplified version of my lovelace for that demo uh and then uh, i'm also working on some some other lovelace stuff that'll be released to the community in the, in the next couple of weeks. So, Oh, that's awesome. Well, we're going to look forward to that. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Even just your slimmed down version was amazing. <laughs> like I was like, I need to use that card. And then I look, and I'm like, okay, how do I get this into my lovelace? Like so many cool ideas. Yeah. And, and um, the community is, is coming out with new ones every day. So yeah. Um, awesome. Oh, look, I could, I could talk for a week uh, about <laughs> <laughs> everything that I, I would love to do and, and everything I have done. So, look, I think that we've had a, a pretty good podcast so far, so I'll, I'll leave it there and, and maybe we'll have an opportunity to, to chat about some more stuff uh, further down the track. Yeah, well, it sounds like you've got so much uh, still working on. So, 
if you've automated your your gas opening door, there's got to be ambulances <laughs> you can have uh, that I want to know about soon. Yeah, look, there's there's been some requests for me to to send photos from my house, and and uh, I'll probably aim to add a few little videos about some automations in action. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ones I just did before the podcast today was we bought uh, the boys some. I don't know if you've seen the Marvel light-up mask you can put on yep. the wall. And they, the the Spider-Man one, the eyes and the face light up and um, the web on his fists or his, his hand light up. We've got a, a bit of a playroom, uh, superhero-themed playroom for them. So we've put them up, but they, they operate on a little switch. So I thought, oh, let's automate it. Um, so I cracked them open, had a look, uh, put a little uh, Wemos D1 in there and – and now they will switch on when we walk into the room, which is pretty cool. That's really cool. All motion sensors, awesome. I'm guessing. Um, so, yeah, so we use the motion sensor from the playroom and, and they'll switch on. There's also a little PIR sensor in them so that the boys can wave their hands in front of them and they'll light up as well. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll, we'll get some sounds and all that kind of stuff added eventually. But Wow. That's yeah. amazing. See, like just then, like there's another idea straight away. Just add things in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now I have the boys asking me to automate stuff as well. So, well, now now you're going to have to have a support queue inside. You need to open up a Jira just for your house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kids start filing tickets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave links to uh, your awesome GitHub repo in the show notes. Thank you very much, James, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics that we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.